I want to describe a person to you and see if you might recognize anybody that fits this description. The person I'm thinking about sometimes gets pretty negative. He's, his, his attitudes are often quite negative. Gets discouraged way too easily. Often he acknowledges being in a state of discouragement. Little things tend to upset him. Uh, then, after being upset by something fairly minor, he allows these things to be blown way out of perspective. So we sometimes use the expression, he makes a mountain out of a molehill. It's not a big deal, but he makes a big deal out of it. He has a tendency to lose sight of the things that are really most important, get sidetracked from his priorities way too easily. Now, as you think about that description I just gave, negative, discouraged, lets little things upset him way too much, loses sight of his priorities. Does that remind you of anybody? Well, I tell you, it probably should. It certainly reminds me of myself too often, and maybe it reminds you of yourself too often. Maybe that's why that sounds like a fairly familiar description. Are you that way? I, I confess that I am that way too much. And when we are that way, what happens is that we have become guilty of allowing our own thinking, our own human wisdom, to supplant God's Word and His promises. Uh, so when we supplant God's Word and will with our own human reasoning, it never works well. And that's why all those kind of attitudes that I just described are very counterproductive to what we really want to be. Today we want to look at how our own thinking is very often at odds with what God says and what He promises. For every one of our negative feelings, emotions, and thoughts, God has a positive promise. And so in our lesson this morning, what we want to do is contrast our thinking with the promises that God has made in His Word. We need to think more like God wants us to think and less like we've been thinking. And the better we can perfect ourselves at doing that, the happier we will be. So our lesson this morning is our thinking versus God's promises. Thanks to everybody who's here today. We're very glad for your presence. As we said earlier, it's a beautiful Lord's Day morning and a great privilege to be able to be assembled together with one another, to enjoy one another's company, to be encouraged by one another, but also, most importantly, to worship and glorify God. And this is a great time to do that. We thank every one of you for being present here for this opportunity. We especially greet our visitors. And if you have any questions about the things we're doing here at College View, you'd like to know more about what we believe the Bible teaches and why we're doing the things we're doing the way we are, please just ask and we will be glad to sit down and study with you from the Word of God. Thanks to everybody for being here today. Okay, what's some examples of where we get let our thinking get in the way when we ought to be thinking along the lines of God's promises? Well, here's an example of what we have in mind. Nobody really loves me. Do you ever feel that way? Uh, this is one of the kinds of expressions that I have in mind when I talk about our thinking. Sometimes you get down and discouraged and very blue, and you think, nobody really loves me. But of course, that's a very unrealistic expression. The fact of the matter is, there are many people who love us. We've got lots of people in this present world who love and care for us and show it in so many ways. But most of all, of course, God loves us, and He has given great evidence of that love in our lives. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no greater sign of love for each one of us 
that God has made evident in the sending of His Son to be a sacrifice for our sins. When, the, when John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, uh, that's sort of a very totally general statement, right? It encompasses everyone. But we need to take that expression personally. God loves me. And God has shown me that love in the sending of His Son to die as a sacrifice for my sin. In the text that Mike read for us earlier from John chapter 15, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Well, Jesus was actually describing himself there, right? He laid down his life for us. We have a great loving friend in Jesus who truly loves us. And so, here's just a very simple example of how sometimes we get to thinking this, nobody really loves me, when the fact of the matter is, in, in reality, many people love us, but most of all, God loves us and has sent His Son, Jesus. Jesus loved us in laying down His life for us. Our thinking is not true. When we get in that mood, we need to rest upon the promises of God. Here's another example of what we have in mind. Uh, I, I just have a hard time figuring out what I should do. Life is really confusing. And there are just times when you don't know which direction to turn, what you ought to do, which decisions you ought to make. Uh, and so, very often we get in those troubling times of life when we're faced with all kinds of problems and dilemmas and we don't know which way to turn. Uh, we, we come up with this expression, I, I just can't figure it out. Well, uh, what we need to do in such instances as that is to make our decisions so that you are fully able to comply with the will of God. You don't know what to do? The Word of God tells us what to do. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. What we need to do in those confusing times of life, we all go through them. Every one of us is faced with circumstances and situations where it just seems very hard to know what will, what will happen? What will happen next? Where should I go? What should I do? The answer to that is make sure that in all your decisions you're complying with the will of God. And then things will turn out right. We need to trust Him. Don't lean upon our own understanding. In other words, don't, don't say, well, I know the Bible says I should do this, but I think I have to do something different in this occasion. No. Always Trust in God. Don't lean to your own understanding. Acknowledge Him. He will direct your paths. Things will work best. If you think you can't figure it out, you probably can't. Therefore, you need to trust God and do what He says, and it will be right. Here's another common expression of our human thinking, and that's the statement that I just can't do it. I think very often uh, when it comes to living a faithful Christian life, we have the attitude, I just can't do it. Uh, you know, we're talking about at the really tough times of living as a Christian. This morning in our Bible class, we were talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how their faith was tested, and that under a very real and specific threat, they were determined to do what was right. Uh, we need to be like that. We need to have that conviction uh, that we can do what's right. Even when it seems hard to do it, we can do it. Paul had the attitude... Uh, that was referred to. Dan mentioned this in his invitation Wednesday night. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, if Paul didn't say I can do it all by my own main brute strength, 
He said, I can do it because Christ strengthens me. And that's the attitude that we need to have. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, we're promised that there's no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man, that is, others are fa- have faced the same things we're facing. But God is faithful who will not suffer us to be tempted above that that we're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. You can do it. The promise is that you can. Paul understood that he could. Uh, with God's help, he could make it. He was facing very hard times. But he had the confidence he could make it with God's help. We can too. We're going to reference Paul several times as we look at the right kind of attitudes that we need to develop. So whenever you feel like you can't do it, realize that with God's help that you can. How about this thought? You ever feel this way? I just don't feel like it's worth it. The Christian life is a life of sacrifice. And I believe we need to stress that to people. We should never... We should never give people the false impression that being a true and faithful Christian is easy. That it's easier to be a Christian than to not be a Christian. That's just simply not so. It's, it's a life of sacrifice. You have to pay a price. Don't ever get the idea that it would be easier to be a Christian than not be one. If that's your thinking, then you haven't got, you haven't got a hold of what it, what the Christian life really requires. It is a life of sacrifice. There are some things that you have to, have to do. That when you become a Christian, you're committing yourself to doing certain things. And also, as being a Christian, there are certain things you can't do. And when you become a Christian, you, you commit to saying, there, I won't do those things. That's not always easy. Being a Christian is hard. And you may be getting sometimes to the point of discouragement, depression, where you say, well, it's just not worth it. All this that I'm expect, all this that I'm expected to do and not do, it's just more than, than I can bear. It's too much. It's not worth it. But whenever you get a feeling it may be not worth it, again, be reminded of the Apostle Paul. I, I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And, and we've read this often. In fact, we just recently read this. But I want to read it to you again, 2 Corinthians 11. I want you to remember the persecutions that Paul went through. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning verse 24. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, and night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without that which come upon me daily, the care of all the churches, it's just not worth it. Man, Paul, all that trouble you've been through. And he, he finally says, you know, I've, I've gone through all this, and I'm telling you, it is just not worth it. I agree, Paul says, it's not worth it. No, you know that's not what he said, right? In fact, he said just the opposite. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Is it worth it, Paul? Paul said, absolutely. Now, we just read that catalog of things that he went through. All that suffering that he endured. If anybody could say, I'm not sure it's worth what I'm having to do to be a Christian, it would have been Paul. But Paul said, the sufferings of this present time, of which he had had plenty, he said they can't even be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. We've got to keep our eye on that goal. Sometimes when we might think it's not worth it, remember the promises of God. They are amazing and awesome. We've got to keep our eyes set on that goal. Here's another expression that sometimes in our very down moments, when we're discouraged and depressed, 
And I said, well, I'm just not sure I'm smart enough to do this or to figure it out. Uh, I think sometimes we get particularly full of self-pity. We may say this. Maybe other people can handle it, but I'm just not smart enough to deal with all these hard challenges of being a Christian. You know, there's a lot to know. You know, the, the, the Bible is a, a book that requires lots of diligent study. And, and I've tried to read the Bible and I, I have trouble figuring it out, trouble understanding it. And, and then, of course, it putting a lot of challenges before me. I'm just not sure I'm smart enough to grasp all of that. Well, if you ever get to thinking that, realize again that you are thinking wrong. You're thinking like a, a human reasoning might predict but you're not thinking like God's Word says. Now, what about this idea, I'm not smart enough to deal with all this that's in the Word of God? A couple of things. First, Ephesians 5.17 says, Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We're commanded to understand, right? Therefore, since we're commanded to understand, it's implied that it's possible to understand. God doesn't command us to do things that are not possible. So, when he commanded us to understand what the will of the Lord is, that, that proves that it can be done. So apply yourself and you can understand. And then, of course, James chapter 1 verse 5 says, when it comes to applying what you know, that's what we call wisdom, right? There's knowledge and wisdom. You know something, but when you have the ability to apply what you know, we call that wisdom. In James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. You think you're just not smart enough? Study, apply yourself, and then pray to God for the wisdom to apply what you know, and he promises that he'll give that wisdom. And so again, this notion, I'm not smart enough, just simply doesn't work. Again, when somebody's on the verge of giving up, uh, very discouraged and down, at a very low point, someone might say, I just can't go on. I can't continue. This, of course, I think you'd agree with me, is a statement of true desperation. And a person who might say this, I just can't go on, uh, uh, ready to give up, is obviously very low in their spiritual life. I want to reference Paul again. Paul is such an example of how we ought to be when faced with these kinds of emotions that we're describing this morning. In the case of Paul, do you remember that he was given a thorn in the flesh? Now, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. Bible students ever since the first century have been trying to conclude what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. What kind of a thing was some kind of a physical affliction that tormented and troubled him? Uh, a lot of people think it may have had to do with very poor eyesight. Uh, I was thinking just the other day, what a blessing it is that we have the ability to have glasses and contact lenses, and now people blind as a bat like I am can still function normally. You know, we take things like that for granted. Can you imagine living back in a time when they didn't have that sort of thing? And some of you who have very bad eyesight like I have, can you imagine trying to live your life without correction, corrective lenses? Can you imagine how hard that we take that for granted? But think of a person who lived back in those times who didn't have that. Some people think that Paul's thorn in the flesh maybe was very bad eyesight. Uh, it's not known. And we're never going to be able to conclude that uh, perfectly. But whatever it was, Paul had this thorn in the flesh. Remember, he prayed three times, which I think implies three times of committed prayer, three periods of committed prayer 
over having this thorn in the flesh removed from him, and it was not. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The answer to Paul's prayer was, No, the thorn in the flesh is not going to be removed, but I'll help you deal with it. And you can go on, and you can, you can make it while dealing with this physical infirmity, whatever it was. If that was true for Paul, certainly it would be true for us as well. And so whenever we get thinking like that, I can't go on. We need to think like Paul. God will help me. I can make it no matter what I am facing. You begin to see how our thinking is often at odds with the promises that God has made for us in his word. Here's another such expression. I'm always worried and frustrated. You ever feel like that? If there's anybody here today who says they never feel that way, then I would think maybe you have a problem with personal honesty. You're not being honest with yourself. We all feel worried and frustrated from time to time about a whole host of different things that come to play in our day-to-day lives. We're worried and frustrated. Uh, maybe we should say we're frustrated and worried because usually the frustration happens first and then we start worrying about it. Well, then we get all wrapped up in worrying about it. Someone has done a, well, lots of people have done surveys, and you've probably read about various surveys that have been made about the things that people worry about. Kind of interesting. Most of those surveys indicate that uh, about 90% of the things people worry about never even happen. So, you know, obviously that's wasted time. If it never even happens, we've wasted our time worrying about it. And then the other 10% or so that may actually come to fruition are not nearly as bad as what we thought they might be. So worry in general is wasted time. Uh, for us, as the people of God, it's especially wasted time because as we waste our time worrying, there's a lot of things that we could be doing that we're not getting done, wasting time in those worries. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, here's another promise of God that we can take great confidence in. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. God cares for us. Put your cares on him. We don't have to worry or be frustrated. Trust him. Do what's right, and it's going to be okay. I really believe that that's the truth that we need to grab hold of. If we just trust God, if we commit ourselves to do what's right, everything will be okay. We need to believe that and act that way. Uh, stop trying to think it through with human reasoning and trust in the promises of God. How about this one? I just can't forgive myself. I've talked to people who have this attitude about things maybe in their past, different, maybe pretty bad things that they did in times past in their life, sinful things, things that they now really regret, wish they'd never done, would go back if they could and redo that and avoid some of those mistakes in their past. I, surely, in a sense, all of us, I mean, I'm... I'm convinced some people feel more that way than others, but all of us would say there are things in our past that we've done that we wish we could take back and not do again. Given the chance to do over, we do differently. Of course, we don't get do-overs like that, and so we've got this in our past. Are you going to let that torment you? Are you going to be the kind of person who says, I just can't forgive myself? I've talked to plenty of people who, who believe that way. I'll just never be able to forgive myself. Well, whenever we get to thinking that way, again, reference Paul. What about Paul? Uh, in the case of Paul, what had he done? 
Well, he had been actively involved in persecuting Christians even to the point of putting them to death. If Paul could be forgiven, and if he could even forgive himself of those things, do you think you can be forgiven? Have you put anybody to death lately? You've been, have you been out throwing Christians in jail lately? If Paul could be forgiven, surely we can be forgiven. And so Paul stands as an example to any who have this depressing thought, I've just done some bad, so many bad things, such horrible bad things in my past, I can't forgive myself. Well, you been a bad Paul? I seriously doubt that. He could move on, so we should be able to move on. Here's a promise about that. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this, this is a statement made to Christians, of course. Uh, we know those who are not yet Christians need to obey that gospel plan of salvation to be in that relationship with God. We'll talk about that here just momentarily in the invitation. But for those of us who are Christians, look at that promise. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from the minor things we've done wrong. No, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The capacity of God to forgive is beyond our human comprehension. When we try to, when we try to put God, limit Him into our human way of thinking, then that's when we would come up with the conclusion, I can't forgive myself. That's because we don't really fully understand or can't really comprehend the amazing capacity of God for forgiveness. God can forgive us. What we have to do is meet His conditions, obtain that forgiveness that He promised, and then move forward. We need to believe God when He says that He forgives us. You know, sometimes it's when people will answer the invitation and come forward. Maybe a Christian comes forward and, and confesses some sin. A lot of times I'm the one who's called upon to talk with them about that as they come to the front during the invitation song. One of the things I always try to remind those who, who take that step is believe that God forgives. You know, we've got to have great trust that God does what He says He does. And He forgives us when, he meet, when we meet His conditions for forgiveness. And so to anybody who says, I just can't forgive myself, you need to think along that line. i got one more here for you. I hope you see how these are not necessarily related. They're different things that go through our minds, but they all have to do with our thinking as opposed to what God has promised us. And here's one more to think about. I feel all alone. You know, I think one of the worst of human emotions is this feeling of loneliness. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm all by myself. No one knows what I'm dealing with. And for that matter, nobody even really cares what I'm dealing with. I feel all alone. You ever get feeling that way? Again, that's, that's an expression of real desperation and despair. Sometimes people get to feeling that way. But we would say, without any fear of contradiction, that that is a wrong expression. It's wrong when you feel all alone. Because lots of other people care about you. For us who are Christians, I think this is one of the great blessings that we have in the body of Christ, the family of God. We have a whole huge family of people who care for us. And that is a great blessing. So one of the great things about being a faithful Christian is I've got so many brothers and sisters in Christ who can carry me, bear me along when I am particularly weak and struggling. Others do care. I am not alone. And I should really understand that. So it's wrong for me to ever feel that way. But let's say, take everybody else away. 
Let's say that there are no others, that legitimately I am alone and no other human cares for me. That, that's never the case, but let's say that was the case. It's the case that nobody cares at all. Well, the promise of God is that he cares. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We're never truly alone because God has promised that he will always be with us. Well, that's our thoughts for this morning. Again, lots of times we begin to develop attitudes, especially when we're particularly down and discouraged, when things are not going well, when life has been hard. We begin to develop some thinking that is very much different from what God has promised us in His Word. We need to concentrate on God's promises in such times as that. We're going to end our lesson with a song of invitation. As we sing this song, we'll be asking you, to think about your relationship with God. Are you, are you availing yourself of all those promises that He has made? Well, in order to do that, you first of all have to be a Christian. And if you're not a Christian yet, you need to make that commitment to be His child through obeying that gospel plan of salvation. Hear the truth. Believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. You're brought into the body of Christ, His family, the church. You're given the blessings that we now enjoy, all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1, verse 3. And you have that great hope of heaven in eternity. If you've never done that, we hope you'll make that decision. If you're a Christian already, but you're down, you're discouraged, you feel like things are not going well, you need to trust the promises of God. Get right with Him. Confess any faults that you may have. Pray for forgiveness. Repent of them and pray for forgiveness. If we can assist you in that matter, we'd be glad to do so. If in any way you're subject to the invitation of God, come on, we stand and sing this song.